Hello, welcome back to Capital Stories. It's Eric and Tara. Here's the podcast where we talk about intersections of life and faith. We had an episode ready to go, locked and loaded for Earth Day, but we decided to push it back and just push pause and make some space for this topic today. Admittedly, it is a little self-serving, yes, because we are promoting a cool new class that's coming up here, but we think the impetus for this class is something that's very important and timely all the time. So even if you're listening a few months later, it's still worth your time. Yep, because this episode is about, and the class is about, reading the Bible. Yes. So this four-week class is going to explore what the Bible is, how it's designed to be read, why every single page of this ancient book, albeit intimidating at times, uh, and how that applies to every area of your life. Um, In Timothy, it says that all scriptures God breathed, and it's useful, right? So that to every servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. A lot of emphasis on every and all. The random verses in the Torah are just as useful as what we can, right, pop off the top of our head. Romans 8, 28 and Jeremiah 29, 11. And at the same time, we know from some stats at the state of the Bible that, you know, 97%, almost all of practicing Christians believe that the Bible has transformed their lives. Yet, we also know that daily Bible engagement is not super high, um, or at least not as high as folks often say they'd like it to be. Why aren't we doing it? Right. Right. It's like, I know I need it, but like... Yeah, and there's obviously nuances around why this is, so we just wanted to give some attention to this on the podcast and and talk about that. So Paul, one of our teaching pastors here at Capitol and McKenzie, our executive pastor, are going to talk about what in the world is the Bible, why we feel so strongly about offering this class at this time, and why it matters to you um, all the time. So here's Paul and McKenzie on Capitol Stories. Hi, Paul. Hi, McKenzie. (laughs) Thanks for chatting today. Yeah, of course. One of the many things that I love about you is your incredible passion for the Bible. And that's what we get to talk about today. I'd love to start with your personal experience with the Bible, right? At some point you became, I say this with deep affection, obsessed. Mm -hmm. I would say is maybe fair, (laughs) obsessed with the Bible. What are some of like the earliest catalysts that set you on this path of the Bible obsession? The earliest that I can remember is just my dad. He is a pastor and takes the Bible very seriously. And so even when we were really, really little kids, he would constantly just be reading the Bible with us, not for long periods of time, but I just remember having very small, short conversations about the Bible and we're reading from an actual Bible, doing like family devotions. And again, like these were not (laughs) like big, long, crazy things. Sure, They were just really short, uh, yeah, like right before bed, a couple minutes or whatever. And, you know, and then my mom was, was also somebody who she, she, it was different because she wasn't necessarily like, she was there in those conversations, but she wasn't necessarily leading those Bible studies. But when we would be driving back when people listened to the radio, Mm. uh, she would listen, especially on Sunday mornings, she would listen to pastors and teachers. And so that just kind of became a thing of like, you know, there are certain times of the week where, you know, our brains are being filled with things and she had a conversation with me like even like a year ago because I made a reference to, to to this somewhere that she heard probably in a message or something and she said I had no idea that you kids were actually paying attention to that that was just more for me and honestly I kind of turned that on because I figured it would be boring to you guys and you'd be quiet while we drove 25 minutes or whatever and in no way shape or form did I retain much of that but I have that memory of it where it just it, it became such a natural thing that it was just a part of our lives and that bled over into you know then like they're kind of establishing like 
there are these influences in my life, like whether they're these pastors that I've never heard of or I've never met before. But then even within our church, you know, we're a part of small groups. We're a part of like different volunteer programs. And just the people that I'm around are talking about the Bible. Uh, The Bible is used to kind of like cast a vision for why we're doing what we're doing. It's just like the Bible seemed to just always apply to like whatever we were doing. It wasn't like people were using it in a negative way to strong arm us. They were using it to show why this matters. And that's something that like really really stuck with me. There was also a really early memory like that involved all of those things together where my dad got invited to do a very small like pastor's luncheon. And he just said, Hey, do you want to come with me? It was like summertime. So I wasn't in school. So I go with him and he teaches on this passage from numbers, believe it or not about like the blood, like it's just this crazy story that we don't have time to get into right now to help, help it make more sense. But just the protocols of like how Aaron and his sons would be consecrated and anointed to become who they were as priests. And I just remember being like 10 years old going, whoa, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's like they were killing this animal and slinging blood everywhere. Like that's nuts. And it just, it, it, there was like this weird, crazy, and I'm, you know, I'm a boy. And so it's just like, that sounds messy and boys are messy. And so, uh, you know, so just like, even from an early age, like even the weird parts were just kind of like, well, you're going to talk to pastors about things. Well, you're going to talk about the Bible, you know? So it just was always kind of there and always around. And then as I got older, those things kind of lingered with me and they stuck with me. And as, as, as somebody who does love Jesus, you know, the, the more like after, especially when I moved away from home, I had more and more friends. I mean, it's, I think it's still true to this day that I have more friends that don't believe in Jesus that than friends that do believe in Jesus. And so there kind of became this thing in me of like, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> and so, and usually the thing that they would attack, it wasn't me. It was what I believed. And it was specifically the Bible. Cause most of the people I hung out with would be like, I'm down with Jesus. You know, he sounds like a socialist hippie, you know, who loved people and whatever. So I'm not going to, you know, whatever about him, but there are these other parts of the Bible. And just, I just, because my mom and dad, and because these important influences in my life, the Bible was so central to them. I looked at them and I was like, well, they're not idiots. So I don't believe for a moment that they would build their lives on a piece of idiocy, (laughs) you know, if that, and and so it just, it caused me to want to know more about the Bible for myself so that I could have these conversations with my friends, uh, honestly, selfishly to show them, look, I'm not an idiot. (laughs) And, you know, and so that, that's, those were kind of some of the, even that negative thing, quote unquote, was something that, that built that obsession with the Bible. Cause it was like, I want to, I want to have an answer, uh, for the hope that I have, you know, to bring it back to the Bible (laughs) and bring it back to Peter. So I love it. No, I love like from the weird stories as a kid (laughs) that you're like, that's messy. I dig it to honestly defending your faith, right? To the people who you care about and doing that in a loving way, you've got to know what you're talking about and you've got to be in there and that you've clearly fallen in love with the Bible for lots of those reasons. You have strong disciplines in reading it regularly, right? Actively growing from it. And I love that. But we both know that's probably not true for everyone, right? Not everyone is great at cracking open their Bible every single day or opening the Bible app every single day. Some stats that I think might be helpful to just acknowledge, even among Christians— Bible fluency is on the decline. So, you know, the State of the Bible research released every year in 2020, they said the proportion of Americans who read the Bible daily is less than 10%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Over a third of American adults, so 35%, said realistically 
they do not engage with the Bible. They never use the Bible outside of their church service. And we know from other research studies, right, attending church regularly now is not even every week. It's like once or twice a month means regular. So people are not super engaged with the Bible on a recurring basis. And Mm -hmm. these are some discouraging stats. But what do you make of these stats? If Bible reading is on the decline, what's on the rise? You know, because I, 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 I know I don't have any hard data in front of me, but I, I do remember from early on in the pandemic reading something, and I could find it if we if we want to put it like in the notes of the show, it wouldn't be difficult to find. But uh, a really smart like Harvard professor or somebody, you know, wrote a paper about how for the first like 13 months of the pandemic, Google searches for how to pray what to pray, just basically Google searches on prayer uh, rose 30%. And they've stayed 10% higher um, than what they have been in years gone by. So it's like, okay, so Bible reading might be on the decline, but prayer seems to be on the rise. Okay, that's a win. So great, that that's, that's really awesome because that's people living out things that the Bible talks about. Yeah. So I think that's a win. I read an article in Fast Company about the benefits of living a slower life, but you know, slowing down, being still. Sure, so that spiritual discipline spiritual of discipline. slowing. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, so we, we see Bible reading is on the decline, but there are these other practices that are on the rise. And, and, and I see that as, okay, what people are doing is they are creating what I just call spaces. They're creating space for God to speak. Because if you're praying, I think it's safe to say that the majority of people pray not just to talk to God, but also to like create a little bit of silence and just to hear from him. And if they're anything like me, it's not an audible voice that isn't their own. For me, it's usually a really quiet voice because I'm not quiet. And it's also a really succinct thought. And I'm not very succinct. Forgive me for that. And so that's what I mean by hearing from God. And so it's like they're creating those kinds of spaces. And so that's awesome. So that's a great place to start. And so to me, one of the ways, and I know this isn't necessarily what you asked about, you asked, what do I make of that decline? But one of the ways that we could work to bring those numbers up is, okay, well, start where we are. And then now let's actually bring something into those spaces where we can actually hear directly from God. Like I have a lot of friends, my family, we love to go camping and most of the people I know love to go camping. And so they'll say things to me like, I just feel closer to God when I'm in nature. Or or if they're not into camping, it'll be like, I feel like I'm closer to God when I'm just sitting around a table with my family and we're just loving each other and I'm going, that's awesome. You're creating these spaces for God. But I have to wonder, because I know I, I love to go camping, but if I'm just out there by myself, it's like I'm getting peace, I'm getting a lot of things, but bringing God's word into those spaces, it's like I'm, I'm especially camping, it's all quiet, which means I can focus more on reading my Bible. I can, I can actually retain more. I feel like it's more alive to me. And so it's like, great, we're doing awesome with creating spaces. Okay, so now let's find really bring simple ways to spaces. bring that into those spaces. Yeah, I love it. One of the unfortunate byproducts of a of, of a decline in biblical literacy is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Bible is and how we should read it. And some people may look at the Bible as, um, well, if I read it, I'm just going to, I'm going to find these little nuggets of information that are going to help me. We, we treat it almost like this is, it's a bottle that contains a genie. <laughs> and so if I read it, if I do the right things, the genie's going to give me what I want. But the problem is, it, it, and this is a horrible metaphor, it's not a genie in a bottle, it's a biography about 
the genie. And that's a horrible way to put it because God's not a genie, by the way. He, he's, he's a personal God who cares about us personally. And, you know, but, but, but the truth is, I think that, it, like I said, it comes down to just this misunderstanding because it can feel like, well, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Well, okay. If I read, you know, if my wife sends me to the store with, with a grocery list, I'm going to read a grocery list different than I'm going to read. She leaves me like a little love letter or, or sends me a text. And so it's just, it's just, oh, I'm coming to something and I'm treating it like one piece of literature when actually it's this kind of literature. And it, it comes down to the Bible is a story. Okay, if you're in finance, well, what does the Bible have to do with that? Oh man, Jesus talks a lot about money. The Proverbs talk a lot about money. We see John the Baptist uh, and Jesus both talking to their hearers, whether they're disciples or not, about things like, hey, like if you're in finance, which in you know, first century Jewish culture, if you're a tax collector, <laughs> like, hey, you're in finance. If you're in finance, be careful. Just be careful because you have the ability to make a whole lot of money for yourself, but don't do it in ways that exploit other people. Don't mislead people um, into believing something that's not true for your own gain. And so when, when we see the Bible as a story and it's filled with these characters, I mean, you talked about tech. Well, okay, well, again, it, it's, I, I would want to narrow that down. Like what branch of, of tech are you in? Like, are you doing videography? Are you creating websites? I mean, okay, well, you're a communicator, Okay, well, what is the information that you're creating? How are you going about doing that? If you're a videographer, are you doing it with intentional excellence? Because I know we don't get a lot of information about Jesus in those first 30 to 33 years, other than he's a carpenter or, or a stonemason. That's somebody else's debate. But regardless, whatever he put his hands to, I guarantee you there were no rickety second-class tables coming out of that carpenter's shop. You know, and so it's like as whatever we're creating, if we're in tech, well then we should be doing that with excellence. Whatever we're whatever message we're trying to convey through that tech. Okay, well what what kind of message? Is it is it doom and gloom or is it a message of hope? Even if it is a message where we're reporting on some atrocities, are are we are we doing it in such a way that doesn't leave people just feeling like, huh, this is hopeless. Like, are like, I mean, so again, it, it's kind of hard to give a blanket statement. But, but it's, it's that story. It's a yeah. It's the story that tells us how to live. Yes, because because if we get back to like fundamentally, what is the Bible? It, it's the biography of God. It, it's it's a it's a fifteen hundred plus year long story of. This is who I am. And what's brilliant is, yes, there are moments like Exodus 34 where he says, hey, Moses, I'm compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Those are so minimal, it's almost like nauseating because it's like, I want to know you, God. And he says, okay, so come come along for this story. Because like when we read uh, the life of David, somebody that most of us are, are familiar with, David has a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And so the way that God reveals himself um, is not that he just steps in and says, hey, David, this is who I am. It's when David makes a mistake and he's, you know, and crosses some boundaries and sleeps with another man's uh, wife. And when he has that man murdered, it's God stepping in and forgiving David. When David, David knew what, what John would later talk about in one of his letters. If I will repent of my sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just, and he will forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. David knows that long time before. I'm, I'm more like David, not in that way, but, but in, in other ways. And when, But if I'm just some girl working in finance yeah. or working in tech, whatever I'm doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm a mom. I'm just trying to parent, right? There's, 
Sto- the stories for me too. Oh, it's it's for all of us. But again, that's the beauty of the Bible is that it's not about us, but somehow God in his, uh, this is why the, the concept of the Trinity is so important is God is forever about someone else. Mm-hmm. The three person God, they're constantly like in this eternal dance of like, no, you, no, you, you look at the way Jesus talks about the father and the father lavishes his love on the son at his baptism. This is my beloved son whom I love. I'm pleased with this joker. It's like, I mean, it's amazing. And so I say that just to say, like, when we read the Bible, it's not about us, but God in his, like, by nature, he is all about us. And so the more we get to know him, he's constantly tricking us in this good way where it's like, oh man, you made it about me. And so it's like, as I'm trying to find him in David's story, I actually find myself in there. And that's not narcissism. That's the way that it's designed. It sneaks up on us. C.S. Lewis talks about sneaking past the sleeping dragons. And I, 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 so I think all of us, as we read, and as, as we read with that proper understanding, we find ourselves in there. And I think God smiles and goes, yeah, you did it. But there's some, <laughs> there's some barriers to that too, sure. right? So the question I want to just take us to is, right, there's some barriers to this, whether it feels hard Mm-hmm. It feels unapproachable. It's intimidating. Those are a few barriers. What are some barriers that you think people experience to becoming more engaged in this story in the Bible? Yeah. What are some of those barriers you've seen? That's a great question. The barriers, to 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 put it kind of succinctly, one of the barriers that we don't even realize is that we, we're constantly telling people that they should be reading the Bible but we're not always teaching them how to read the Bible. And that's that's those are two different things. Because my job as a communicator, one of the things that I tell like my friends, you know, who have known me because I've only been, you know, in this job for two or three years, I, I kind of lose track cuz when you love what you do, it's just like time becomes irrelevant. Anyway, but I I tell people, you know, the first thing that I have to do is I have to teach people the Bible so that I can teach them from the Bible. Because if you if you just open it up at some point, like you and I always have the ongoing joke about Leviticus and Numbers, and it's like, well, yeah, if you don't know how to read that, well, then I can't teach you like the life-giving principles from it. So I first have to teach you that, then we can teach from it. So we got to step in there. And so that most people that I know would just simply say, they don't know how to learn how to read the Bible. They don't know who to turn to for help because we live in, in the world of the internet. And anybody can post anything. And so they're, 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 they're kind of like, it's just too much. It's too overwhelming. And so I feel like that's probably the biggest barrier. And the biggest thing that I hear from people is, I want to, I just don't know how. And that's I probably think, the number one. And where do I start? Like, do I just open at Genesis? So for someone who would say that, like, where do you suggest someone start? A particular book, particular plan? Sure. You might cover this in your class too, but for our listeners today, (laughs) (laughs) where would you tell someone to start? I would ask them a series of questions first so that I can kind of get to know them and know, like, are they brand new to faith? Have they been journeying with Jesus for a long time? I would ask them questions about, like, are they like, what's, what's their status, you know, married, single, you know, kids, all that kind of stuff. But regardless, like the the whole point of asking those questions is I want to find out like, well, where are they in life? And 
what is their comfort level? Like as they step in, it's just like my, my, my son has learned how to swim a lot better this year where we used to go to the beach and it was like, he can only go in up to a certain point. Otherwise his mom starts yelling at us. Cause I'm like, you can do it. And she's like, no, he can't. But now it's like, as he's become a stronger swimmer, well, he can go a little bit deeper. So it's like, bottom line is I tell people like, okay, well, let's start where you're comfortable. There's a reason why I, it is very rare that I ever tell someone start at Genesis one, more likely I'm going to tell you to start at John one. Even with that, there's that first sentence, John one, one that can sound so weird and trippy and philosophical or whatever. But regardless, it's like, let's start where you're comfortable. Why, why wouldn't we like, I I don't know about you, but change is a little bit scary because change means I don't know what's happening. And if I'm not used to reading the Bible and you tell me that I need to change, I need to be in the word. I'm going to be like, I don't know. Okay. Well, what do I do? So it's like, okay, great. Let's just start where you're comfortable. Tell me some of like the life verses that you have. Let's drop in there. You know? So I I would first say, just start where you're comfortable. And for most people, it's probably the gospels or the new Testament letters because the new Testament letters are more didactic. Those are more do this, don't do that kind of thing. They're super tricky sometimes. And so we got to learn how to read those as well, which we will be talking about (laughs) in that class. But by and large, there's a reason why people start there because it does, it does seem a little bit more applicable, you know, as you're reading through Colossians or Ephesians or whatever, same thing with, we love the stories of Jesus. And so I love starting people at, 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 you know, at the gospels because they are stories. And I think the stories are just so exciting in the Bible. The thing that I would say to people from there is, Hey, like, Number one, just start where you're comfortable. Let's figure out what that means and let's get you there. But here's the other piece of advice that I want to I want you to take, or two pieces I should say that I want you to take with you. Number one, just do it every day. And don't let that sound intimidating. I literally mean like if all you've got in you is five minutes, do five minutes. Mm-hmm. My buddy Parker, he's like he's a physical trainer. And one of the things that he talks about with people is like, day one when you come to me, we're not doing an hour and a half like workout. You're not ready for that. So don't put like this unrealistic expectation on yourself. When I say do it every day, let that be actually like a source of hope. It's like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to digest all of this in one day mm-hmm. because I'm gonna do it every day. And it's just little bits at a time. Start there. The other thing I would say is whether you're reading in a a Bible or in an app, anytime you see a footnote, click on that. Because sometimes it'll tell you like, oh, this word could also mean this, or here's another way that this can be read. Okay, that's all helpful. But one of the other things that this is this can do, especially if you start in the New Testament, it can be a gateway to the Old Testament because it's crazy. Like I literally just bought a book that I hear the excitement in your voice about that. I love it. There's just like a passion there, right? Of like, oh, it's like a little, it's a little trick or treat. And it we're going to click on that and it get is. a treat and it's going to well, take us back here. It's an Easter egg. The New Testament is filled with Easter eggs from the Old Testament. And so it's like, if you're a little nervous about the Old Testament, it's like, okay, well, again, start where you're comfortable in the New Testament. And when they reference something, go back and read that. I would challenge people like, don't just read like the singular verse, like read like, read as much as you can that's context. around yeah to get the context and everything because sometimes anyway i don't want to get off on a rabbit trail but the new testament is just riddled in all the greatest ways with quotes from the old testament there are entire books written on this topic i just got a new one i can't wait to dive into it but that's another way again that you can help ease yourself in to the old testament because then when you do go, go back and start reading the old testament you actually know like i know the end of this story i know where this is going it's like i kind of cheated you didn't cheat like you're just, you're reading the Bible. That's how it's, that's how it works. So if I want to start, I need to start where I'm comfortable. Uh-huh. I need to do it every single day. Yeah. And I need to follow 
the Easter eggs. I say follow the footnotes just because I like the alliteration, okay. but we'll go with, we'll go with Easter it's eggs. It's almost so. Easter. It's a, it the is Cadbury almost Easter. Eggs. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. So good. You mentioned a, a few minutes ago, right? Sometimes these passages can be tricky, mm-hmm. right? You can come across something that's a little bit tricky. And I would say, you know, from my experience talking to some of my friends in some of my small groups and Bible studies I've done, sometimes there are passages that are quite frankly frustrating. Okay. Whether that's, it's frustrating to understand, it's frustrating to say, how do I apply this to my life? Do you have any experience or comments on this particular passages that maybe are even difficult to reconcile in a modern context? Mm. I think that's a great question. And I really appreciate you asking it just like that, because I personally feel like one of the biggest problems we have is that we immediately want to rip it through time and space into modern context. And that's not fair. Make it apply to me today, right now. Exactly. And that's not fair. I mean, part of it is, it's like, number one, every time you read the Bible, you're engaging in a cross-cultural experience. It would, it would be like, it, I, I've said this to people before, when I was uh, 17, I got to go to Israel and it was awesome. I did no preparation for going to Israel. I got off the plane and I'm looking around and I'm not kidding you. It's embarrassing to say this now. The first place that I ate when I was in Israel was a McDonald's. But, but, but we do that because it's just like, oh, well, how come like this, you know, we go somewhere and we're looking for the things that we know. We're looking for the things that are comfortable. When, when I go to, when I go to Israel, it's like, I, I, sh- I can't go there like looking for a McDonald's. Like that's like, I'm not getting it. Like I'm just, I'm only doing what I understand and what's in the, like my quote unquote Western modern context. And I'm trying There's to- There's a very about me, me, very me, much, me, very much. versus about yeah. Jesus, about God. Yeah. Exactly. And you can still turn that to you, right? Like, what does he have to say to me through right. this? But that focus, that's really good. Yeah. And so I think that's a big issue is that we, so by, by, by ripping it through space and time and immediately bringing it into modern context, we can feel like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with me. They didn't have tech employees. They didn't have work at home stuff or whatever, you know, that we're dealing with now. Whereas if we just, if we learn to like really slow down and step into that situation, we'll Again, this is why we love going to the movies and or reading books that are period pieces. We get to kind of step into the life and times there. And it's interesting because Downton Abbey doesn't look much like my life, but when you actually like hear the conversations, when you hear the struggles, when you hear like all that stuff, like the actual, the yeah, you hear people, you hear things that you go, wow, that so resonates with me. I so understand what that must be like. I feel like there's a ceiling that people have put on me and in my ability to grow in my career. And oh, I mean, it's like, there are all kinds of things about Downton and Abbey. And in that, that, right, we can find, and I mean, even like these stories in the Bible that we think are not applicable anymore, mm-hmm. right? We can find the timelessness yeah. of God. Yeah, yeah, because when we get past, you know, we, we always use the phrase right here, the thing behind the thing. Mm-hmm. Just quick little side note, I'm just going to throw this out there. That's actually how the Old Testament law is, like when we think of laws, that's how they're meant to be read. There's a thing behind the thing. We just kind of stop at the thing and we go, whoa. Let me give you an example that, that directly ties into what you're talking about as far as the timelessness of it and how we, how we pull things into our modern context. People will often ask me, hey, Paul, how do you feel about tattoos? And I know where they're going with that because I'm covered in them. And they're like, well, doesn't the Bible say don't get tattoos? To which I reply, 
Yes, it does. In Leviticus 19, I can take you there. I know this verse, but here's the thing. We have to stop everything that we're doing and kind of go, okay, when was this written? To whom was it written? Because they didn't have the machines that we have now. There was nobody in the ancient world going, you know what sounds like a good time on Saturday? Let's go get shamrock tattoos. Nobody was doing that. That's not what tattoos were for. In the ancient world, the only people who who primarily got tattooed uh, were slaves. They were slaves because they were marked by their owner. Your owner would tattoo on you through a very painful process, their name or their mark. And basically for the rest of your life, you are now marked and you are labeled and you are, you are basically, you are under them. But the problem with that is the reason why God says, Hey, don't do that is because a little bit earlier, he says, Hey, every seven years, no matter what the status of somebody, you set them free. If they have sold themselves to you because they have a debt that they couldn't pay, okay, great. You let them work that off and you take care of them, by the way. You take care of them, you feed them, you make sure that whenever they leave you at that seven-year mark, that you're sending them out full of with money and cattle. Like You set them up for success. And by the way, don't you dare mark them because of a temporary status when God says, no, 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 because I'm here to set you free. You're only going to live like this for a really short amount of time. So this whole idea of, Paul, how do you feel about tattoos in the Bible? I, 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 I like to step people into that and go, here's what that actually means. Here's the thing behind the thing. Who am I in charge of? Who has God put in my care? My kids, the people in our community. So Paul, how are you treating them? Are you raising, are you setting people up for success? Are you making sure that the way you're leading them and teaching them is is so that one day they can be set free, quote unquote, to go and do their thing, to live their life, to study the Bible on their own? The idea of don't tattoo people has far more to do with parenting than what it has to do with what you choose to do like on a Saturday afternoon because you got a little bit of extra cash. And so when we stop and we don't bring it into a modern context and instead we step back into their situation, all of a sudden, everyone I know who would never get a tattoo, and God bless them, everybody has tattoos now. It's far more punk rock to not have a tattoo than to have one. But people who don't have tattoos, it's like, no, 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 no. That verse has everything to do with with you and with me. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Totally. Okay. I like the parenting tie in it too. You know, there's a that thing behind the thing of it's more about identity. It's mm-hmm. about who we are in Christ is free. We're exactly. Not enslaved exactly. to a slave master, yep. sure, but yep. also we find right we don't have to be enslaved to shame, mm-hmm. to fear. I love it. And, and right. It is our, I, I, we are both parents and it is our job. God help us, right. To raise these little ones with that kind of an identity so right. that they can go out equipped. Yes. To, I mean, cattle money, but to, you know, have <laughs> yeah. a successful career, have successful relationships. Yeah. Those things really matter, but that comes from how we raise them to know who they are and yeah. whose they are. So by the way, I want to make sure because this is being recorded It is now officially on record. You did it, not me. You went from Leviticus 19 to Jesus. Yes, I did. You can no longer make fun of me when I say, it's all there. It's all there. there. It is all there. You did it. You did it. it. I love it. So I clearly love it. I am really excited. I'm really excited about what's ahead, too. 
and I'm really excited about this class you're doing. And I, like I said, I think we would be remiss if we didn't do a little shameless plug okay. about this. So I want to just take a moment here. What in the world is the Bible? We've got a four-week class coming mm-hmm. up, a little bit of how to read or not read the Bible, yeah. right? Like what to do or not to do. What are, I mean, we can give a little overview of the class, sure, but I want to hear what are your hopes for this mm. class? Well, first of all, p- part of the reason why I wanted to title it what in the world is the Bible is to get back to that thing that we keep coming back to is just this idea of like, in my world, what is the Bible? Meaning not just simply like, what is it? How do I understand it? But like, what is it to me? What in my world is the Bible? Because I, I, one of my hopes is that people will begin to centralize the Bible. Um, Sorry, this is the way my brain works. I think about the book of Numbers. There's this wonderful spot early on that talks about how it can seem boring, but it's all about how to, how the camp is supposed to be laid out, okay? You got 12 tribes, you got the tabernacle, so how are they gonna uh, build this thing? Well, God says, you put the tabernacle in the middle and you put the people surrounding the tabernacle and everyone's tents face in. Again, ancient co- context. Everyone else, they're facing out. They want to see what's coming. They want to see the enemies. But God says, no, 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 no. You focus on me. You make me the center of your world, the center of your nation, and you keep your eyes and your focus on me. I will take care of you. I want to do that with the Bible for all of us, where we move the Bible from the periphery. And if that's where it starts, okay, at least it's within our field of vision. That's a win. Let's start with that and let's slowly, naturally uh, bring that to the center to where when we sing songs like, it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It's like, well, let's do that. Like, let's, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but Jesus doesn't come and like flip through his Instagram with me. It's like, he gives me the Bible. And so I'm gonna put him at the center by by, by keeping the Bible in the center. So my, one of my hopes is that we help people to do that. That's kind of the ultimate goal. Some of the smaller things, and I shouldn't say smaller, some of the other things, kind of like what we've been doing here in this conversation. It's, it's, it's I hope to demystify the Bible. I know that it can be tough. I know that it can be confusing because we just we keep talking about like it's an ancient book and you got to step back into some of those things. So if we can help people demystify it, well, they won't be as intimidated by it. I, 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 we will probably spend a little bit of time correcting some misunderstandings. One of the big keys is going to be how not to read the Bible. Because there's a lot of us who, with, with good intentions, have read the Bible a certain way. It may, and I believe in God's grace that that will work for a while, that there, there is grace for all of us with, with the ways that maybe we have been misunderstanding or miss, missing the mark in the way that we approach the Bible. So we want to help people know, know how, how, to, how, how to approach the Bible and how the Bible itself says it should be read. All of this comes down to the fact that like, we want to we want to equip people to read the Bible on their own. Because when they read the Bible on their own, what they'll begin to do is they'll begin to find a three-dimensional God that's alive and breathing. Passages like, you know, that talk about, you know, you know, the the living word of God, like that'll become real to them because they're going to find like a personal God in these pages, not just a taskmaster that's given them a list of do's and don'ts kind of thing. Some of the, those are, those are what I would call my selfless Ooh, <laughs> reasons. Do you have a selfish? I have a couple of list? selfish ones. I want to hear um, it. One is you kind of brought this up a moment ago about the stats 
of, of biblical literacy and biblical fluency. I would, one of my selfish hopes from this class is that we help disciples at Capitol collectively defy those stats. Yeah, because, let's go. Yeah, right? <laughs> Which by the way, with that, I want to jump back to one other thing before I move through the rest. Actually, this is part of the sel- the selfish thing. When you talk about things that people can use to kind of get in their Bible, we're going to equip people with things that we talk about all the time, like the YouVersion Bible app, like the, the Bible Project videos and different things like that, but also me. People think that I'm joking when I say that my idea of a party is a Friday night hanging out and talking about the Bible. And that's one of the ways that we can help people defy that stat is like, well, great, let's spend two hours having, you know, hanging out and talking about this and reading it together one night. So I want to be, I want to, I'm selfish. I want to be a part of other people's journey. I love it. I want to help people to learn how to combat some of the ridiculous internet memes that are out there about the Bible, whether it's that the Bible talks about unicorns or that the Bible believes that women should just sit down and be quiet. Okay. Now we're not going to get into that right now, but we'll talk about some of that stuff in the class. But so I want to help people combat those things because I have people that are near and dear to me that would consider themselves to be a part of, you know, what is popularly known as the deconstructionist movement. And what breaks my heart is the amount of people who say, um, reading the Bible is what actually caused me to step away from faith. Finally, and this is the ultimate selfish thing, my biggest dream from this is I look forward to the day that somebody comes and starts teaching and discipling me. <laughs> and I, of course, I have people in my life that do that. I mean, we have an incredible lead pastor who does it every single week, but I'm just saying people who maybe week one feel a little trepidatious I can't wait. Like my, my selfish goal is I want that person, those people to one day come back and be like, I was reading through this thing in the book of Acts. Have you ever noticed this? And I can't wait to smile and go, no, <laughs> because I no, I don't know the whole thing. I've read it, but it doesn't mean I know it. I, I've, I spent a lot of time with my wife. Doesn't mean I understand the ins and outs of, of her. You know, it's like, that's, that's just the way that it is. It's whenever you have an, a living uh, relationship with something. And so that's probably my ultimate selfish thing is to, see, to watch somebody else feel the thrill and excitement. I want someone else to have that experience where they feel like the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to the scriptures, Luke 24. There's a Bible reference for us, uh, where they begin to see the story of Jesus in the law, the prophets, the writings, or you know, elsewhere in the New Testament, and they experience that revelation, and they're excited to teach somebody else, to teach me. And I can't wait until my response is, I never I thought about it that, that way. This yeah. is incredible. So, so good. That's, that's, so that's good. the biggest dream. So I love it. Thank you, Paul. And I hope we get a few people in that room later this month <laughs> to dig into those four weeks of the Bible. And maybe one of them can inspire you with something new too. I bet that they will. That would be amazing. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for sharing your passion with us. Of course. I really believe God has equipped you with such a heart for his word. That is a real gift to our community. So thank you, Paul, for the conversation today and for your leadership in the days ahead. Thank you, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, give us a rating and a share. As we uh, mentioned, we've got our next episode ready to go already. It is going to be Earth Day here soon. And so we talked to Eric Schoening. He's part of our Capital community, and he is something called an atmospheric scientist. And he talks to us about some issues of conservation and intersections of science and faith. And we're excited for you to tune in and listen to that episode on May 1st. See you then.